Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Taryn Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode of Three Spooked Girls. It's your co-host, Jessica. Normally, I'd hand it off to Tara at this point and say, like, you know, as always, I'm with my good friend, Tara. However, today I'm doing an intro because we are releasing another one from our vault. This is our patron vault. If you have wanted to be a patron and wanted a little taste of what we do over there, this is one of those episodes. Right now, I am in the process of getting ready to actually go visit Tara, and we've just been trying to get everything ready to go, and this week's episode was just one of those that we thought, hey, we have some really good in the vault episodes why not release it? So without further ado, I'm going to let that play. If you noticed, we did a two-parter episode on Nexium. Yes. We couldn't get enough, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I know. We <laughs> were a little obsessed with it. <laughs> but then as soon as this is over, we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Pack it away. We're done. Mm-hmm. So Tara and I watched, it's a documentary that I found on Hulu, but it's an investigative discovery one. And it's pretty recent because obviously they talk about like Keith being, you know, in jail and stuff. Yeah. And sentenced and whatnot. Yeah. This one has a little bit of a spin because it's not just about the sex cult. It's not just about like the multi-level marketing bullshit or anything like that. This is specifically this this one. It's called The Lost Women of Nexium. And it's about these four women, all of which who have died under weird circumstances mm-hmm. and or supposedly died because one, we don't know if she's dead. Right. Yeah. Which I mean, I think now that he's been arrested and sentenced, unless he still has people working for him. Oh, you know he's got crazy followers, so yeah. Which I can do this because it's patrons, but like someone posted on Facebook the stuff about like Jeff Epstein's log of people who visited his island. Both Claire and Sarah or Sarah were on that list. Of course they were. But then, like, I started, like, I went, like, deep dive and was reading it. It was, like, people like Miley Cyrus and shit like that. And then I was like, okay, first and foremost, not everyone who went to that island probably, you know, mm-hmm. because you ha- you couldn't have just a, your select people going because you'd get caught a lot faster. Yeah. So when they're like, all these celebrities are going, I want to say this now, if a celebrity from that list 
is in fact guilty, they need to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Mm-hmm. But like, we need to like treat this a little like let's not hate them because they're on some list, right? Because like we don't know, like maybe Miley Cyrus performed there, or maybe like we don't know she's a victim. True. You look at like Harvey Weinstein, the fact that like you know that kind of shit, Kesha's manager, that kind of shit. So tangent over. <laughs> anyway. Now a word from our sponsors, BetterHelp. How well would you take care of your car if you knew that that was the only car you'd have for the rest of your life? That's how our brain works. So why don't we take care of it the same way? How we care for our mind affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into what really matters and making sure that your brain is healthy. There are plenty of ways to support brain health, learning a new language or taking power naps, which, you know, are my preference way of taking care of my brain. But there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. I know that the last couple of years have been really rough for a lot of people. For those of you who don't know, I've been going through a really tough time. In fact, I'm actually coming close to the end of a divorce. So having an online therapist has helped me so much. Being able to just reach out and get help when I need it is so great. BetterHelp Online offers video, phone, and even live chat therapy sessions. And you don't have to see anyone on camera if you want to. And I know that we all hate those weird Zoom calls where we all have to turn on our cameras. It's a great relief to know that you don't have to do that to get therapeutic help. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And I know that a lot of times it takes a while to get connected through your healthcare system to a certified therapist or someone who who's in your area to help you, but you can get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash spookedgirls. That's betterhelp.com slash spookedgirls. So it's about these four women who have died or one supposedly died that are all connected to Nexium. And if you remember from the episodes, the, the two, we talked about a guy named Frank Parletto. He's kind of the main person throughout this. He's doing the investigation. And just a little background on Frank. He actually worked for Nexium and um, mm-hmm. Keith Rainier in 2007 for about six months. Crazy. He was basically fired because he started looking into the books more because he was like a consultant, essentially, like a PR consultant. Right. And when he started looking into the books, he noticed that there was like a shit ton of money missing. I want to say like 90-ish million dollars, which is kind of weirdly not accounted for. And he thought that Keith was embezzling. So, of course, Keith had him fired. Right. And then he did the thing that a lot of angry people do, (laughs) but this time it was warranted, is that he actually became a journalist so that he could primarily take Keith and Nexium down. Right. And I just want to say, like, there's another person later in the documentary and someone we talked about in the other episodes, which is Roger Stone. He also worked for Nexium as a consultant, but it's very short. These people, like, he only worked for him for, like, Four months. So these people don't stay very long. It's either that you're in because you're like hooked on phonics there. Like you're like, yes, plugged in. Where do I sign the line? You know, like, do I give you all of my possessions? How does this work? Yeah. 
and these people that are realizing shit's sketchy, it's like they either are like, I'm getting the fuck away from you, or Keith is like, goodbye, get out of here. Like, they're pretty quick to cut certain people off that's not all up his ass. Oh, most definitely. So... Frank is actually the person who wrote the big expose on like the branding shit in 2017, which led to Sarah Edmondson like being able to be like, this happened. I have a brand. And she went on to like Time Magazine and like a bunch of other things like 60 Minutes and all that stuff. So he is kind of the reason there is kind of closure to this like weird chapter of like sex cult in America for this particular one. But through his journalistic research over the years, he's come across these four names that have kind of stuck with him. He's like, what the fuck really happened? And their names are going to be Kristen Snyder, Gina Hutchinson, Barbara Jeske, and Pamela Karefs. So this documentary is about an hour and 25 minutes to hour 30 it's it's actually a really good watch it's cut it's not cut in a way that's boring it keeps you like engaged so the first part they talk about is the Kristen snyder and in 1999 she moved from kentucky to of all places in the world anchorage alaska aka where i am and i was like what the fuck like instantly got my attention extra and i was just like Oh, my God. And I won't jump ahead, but yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. No, but um, I would <laughs> when I watched this like right like right before we started, I started to watch this right before we recorded the other two episodes. And when I heard that, I was like, Tara. But then I was like, don't tell Tara, because then it's like we'd probably have to end up postponing our other two episodes. So <laughs> it was like, we're going to do this for patrons. <laughs> So basically, kind of like the short story of this is that she gets up there and she's really trying to like change her life around. She's very outdoorsy. She's wanting to grow in her career. She, in November of 2002, signs up for some Nexium classes, which it sounds like she signed up for like, I don't know, like there's an anonymous person that you find out who it is later, but spoilers, I'm not going to walk down that line yet. She's like, yeah, she spent like $10,000, $12,000 on this class. It was like a big deal. And then in February of 2003, she does another round, which is about $7,000 there in Anchorage, Alaska. So think about how big this sex cult has to be to get to Anchorage, Alaska. And I know I use this a lot when I'm making fun of where Tara lives. Yeah, it's crazy because both of the workshop whatever you want to call it, they were both over two weeks long. They were like 16 or 17 days each. So, so long. That's kind of the thing is like you sign up and it's like a 16 day thing. And like I was trying to think like, okay, 16 days, two weeks. So you have to like if you're working, you have to give your bosses like legit 12 days notice. Or like 12 days of, you have to have 12 days of vacation if you're working a full-time job. That's a lot of hours. Yeah. So she was, they were at this hotel, right? And she was, I believe we find out later on, she was on like day 10 of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was towards the end. Yeah, she was forcibly removed from the seminar. According to her wife, Heidi Clifford, she just was taken out and then never came home and they filed a missing persons report on 2003, so February 7th. So two days after that, so on February 9th, they find her truck two and a half hours away in Seward at 
is it Restoration Bay? It's Resurrection Bay. Okay, I wrote that down, but then underneath it, I wrote Restoration, and I was like, I don't know, maybe I wrote it down wrong. Uh, um, resurrection, like Jesus. Uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, Resurrection Bay. Mm-hmm. With a suicide note in her car, and I kind of paused it so that I could look and read what it was saying behind it, because they don't read it. And basically, the note is saying that she had taken some self-help classes and Nexium, and that they had brainwashed her. And mind you, she spelled Nexium like the actual medicine, not how they spell it. And that she just, she couldn't take it anymore type thing. And then on a separate piece of paper, along with that, she wrote, don't look for my body, which if I was an investigator, I'd be like, well, I'm definitely looking now because this is highly suspect. Right. Just what's annoying. I don't know. It's just kind of frustrating. So Seward is like one of my favorite places to go to, but it's not a big area and it's like the documentary said it's about two and a half hours to three hours like depending on traffic to get out there so it's like it's a bit of a drive so it's just odd to me like there's no specific answers on this because seward as a town itself is not big right so shortly after they find her car it's like stated that they find this like local storage shed that was broken into near the truck and an old kayak was missing, which is interesting because they interview the owners of it and they're like, it was sitting on under a tree. Right. Yeah. And the only reason we knew it was gone was because of the fact that like it had it was February in Alaska. So Tara, what's what happens in February in Alaska? Uh, fucking darkness and cold. And snow. (laughs) Well, yeah. February is literally, I would say, probably the worst month of winter. You ain't fucking kayaking. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's some extreme, like, kayakers out there who are like, fuck yeah, all year. And you're like, no, sir. It's literally like negative 30. Let's fucking not. (laughs) Right. So at this point in time, they've created a narrative is that she left upset, essentially drove to Seward, stole this kayak. Mind you, she probably owned her own kayak. She was very outdoorsy. Right. She was like an environmentalist. She was in that kind of field for work. Right. Stole a kayak, paddled out into the middle of nowhere, and then capsized on purpose. And basically, I'm assuming died pretty quickly of like hypothermia before she drowned. Mm-hmm. Also... <laughs> I said this and I got a look from my husband when I was like, did she go out there to find killer whales? Like, is she killer whale food? And he's like, no. Dude, no. Me and Matt were talking about that. I was like, say this is what happened. I don't think it is. But like, say it is what happened. I was like, what? Because they never found her body and shit. I was like, what? Did a whale eat her? Like, because like there are whales and stuff out there. I was like, did it just pop up and be like, mine? I'm like, what the fuck? What is their fucking explanation? I was so mad. (laughs) Yeah, but I think it's also like February. I don't know whale stuff. I don't know whale stuff. I'm not... A marine biologist, if you're a marine biologist, let us know the migration patterns of whales. Yeah. I mean, they're obviously, so they're, I am probably like half pulling stuff out of my ass. It's fine. So I know they're much more active in like the spring and summer because that's when like the whale tours and stuff are all popping off and stuff, you know? So I would assume winter, they're probably not all up in this shit. 
like from what I've watched on, you know, Discovery Channel, they're in like Baja, California that time of year because it's warmer or like Hawaii. Right. Yeah. But the other thing is, is like she truly paddled out the whale would have to have eaten i mean granted you did just share that on your facebook page about the whale that like almost ate the kayaker but like i don't think the whale meant to eat the kayaker i think the whale was equally as freaked out as the kayaker he was like shit there's something in my mouth i don't know what it is it's much bigger than i anticipated (laughs) (laughs) yeah plus its mouth looked weird i was like how big is the bottom jaw like God damn. Right? But anyway, but with that, like, there was no kayak. And I put down, they talked to a kayak expert by the name of Rick Brown. And he said that it's super weird that they wouldn't have found a single thing. Like, they should have found a paddle, a piece of, like, a piece of the kayak, something. Like, even if a whale ate her and attacked the boat, there would be some sort of evidence. But they didn't find it. Yeah. And also, like, one of the things is, like, they interviewed her friend, Kenny Powers. Yeah. And, like, he started crying. And, like, you have to realize, like, this point, this is, like, almost 20 years ago. It's been a long time. They're interviewing in, like, late 2019-ish mm-hmm. or around that. And it's, like, you have to think about the fact that, like, you know, he has had zero answers since 2003 what happened. Because, basically... Two weeks after the fucking investigation stopped, the police were like, since there's no evidence and it's a, and we have a suicide note, we're going to stop looking for her and we're going to stop looking into it at all. Right. Because, yeah, the search party only lasted four days. And then after that, it was just like fizzled out. Right. According to Kenny, who is her friend, he was a ski patrol and Kristen actually wanted to help and become part of the search and rescue team. Which to me is not someone who would commit suicide because the, she would understand the gravity of someone searching to rescue her or searching to recover her. And that's a big deal. So she most likely, in my opinion, would not have killed herself in this way. Mm-hmm. He said that according to what happened is that he called Heidi and Heidi said that Kristen had been had walked out of the Nexium seminar, said something scary, quote unquote, was his words. And then hadn't been seen again, but Heidi didn't chase after her, which Kenny kind of indicated was weird. Like, I would have chased after my wife. Like, you're not even my wife, and I would have chased after you and been like, where are you going? And basically, he said about 100 people were working on trying to find her. And like Tara said, it only lasted four days. And they called off the search. And then this is in the documentary where they start doing like the hidden identity person in Alaska, like her friend. And she said that she was a part of it and that she'd been brought in by Kristen and that she was into Nexium as well. And that basically once she was brought in, I thought this was an interesting thing as within a day of being a part of this like new found group with like 15 strangers. They were, like, telling everyone their deepest, darkest secrets. Yeah, that should be a red flag. hmm Also, in the suicide note that Kristen supposedly left, she talked about the fact that, like, her internal organs were rotting and that the only thing that was really remaining was, like, her external skin, which is weird. And then Frank moves on to interview this harbor master, which I thought this was a super interesting point of this, is they interviewed a harbor master and he's like, okay, so over you've worked basically in capacity. This guy has been working in the harbor since the 90s, right? Um, and he goes, in all of your time, how many bodies have you had to search for other than Kristen? 
And he said 16. And he said, of those 16, how many bodies have you recovered? He said 16. So like, even if we're talking like whales or other things, like they still recover bodies and, and evidence. And the other thing is, is that then Frank goes up on a helicopter. Because mind you, two days after this, they're searching. They found her truck. They start searching immediately and they go up in helicopters and they're searching the bay. You can clearly see kayaks from like, I think he was like 200 feet up in the air and you could clearly see that it's a kayak. So they would have been able to see something. And at that point in time, I don't know much about the flow of the water in Alaska because, again, I don't live there. I live here and I don't fucking know. (laughs) Right. I don't know if it could have, the quote unquote kayak could have floated out to sea. I don't know how that works. I don't know. I feel like people struggle to get out (laughs) out of bays into like open ocean. So to me, it's that seems weird. Mm -hmm. Kristen's part jumps around a bit, just so that you know. So this is like they kind of transition to like, talking to people who were close to her. And basically people at Nexium were saying that she was, she basically had a psychotic break and that's why they had to like take her out. And they also mentioned that in December, January of like 2002 to 2003, she had actually gone to Albany, New York mm-hmm. and had visited Nexium headquarters. We meet a wonderful woman named Sue who used to work for them and she was kind of like an education like she actually like presented like she did that and she said she remembered seeing her in Albany New York and that she had a suspicion that Kristen had slept with Keith and she made it very a point to say that Keith didn't like lesbians and that being gay was an act of defiance especially if you were a woman because the way you have to think about it is is that Keith thought of women as property obviously he branded them So with that, if you were a lesbian, that meant like your preference meant you automatically excluded him as an option. Right. And that was what his problem was. Right. It's not that he didn't like gay people. It's that he didn't like the fact that if he wanted a woman, if she was gay, they would not want him back. Mm -hmm. Also, this is the point in time in the video you hear they basically Sue had given her camera to like a friend who is like another high ranking person in Nexium, And it's this video recording of Keith talking to a couple other high ranking people. And Keith says, I've almost been killed for my beliefs and I've struggled. And then he goes on to make the claim. I've had people killed for my beliefs. And this was in 2009. And that's crazy because we're going to now transition into another person's story, which first we have to talk about this guy named Joe O'Hare, who is an internal investigator into the disappearance. And basically Nexium hired him a year later to go in and like look at shit. And he thought it was really weird because obviously if you think someone has disappeared, that you would do it automatically. Like you'd be like, oh my God, let's go. But like they waited a year because the story broke nationally a year later. And he believes that she could possibly still be alive. Crazy. And the one of the things that they really think is, is that like, He's saying that Kristen, she was definitely a lesbian because she was married to a woman. Like she was in a same sex marriage, which she seemed very happy. And like the pictures that they show of in the interactions with her and her wife, it's so beautiful and genuine. 
But like if Keith were to have persuaded her to sleep with him, that would not be her preference. So it would have had to be coerced. But it would also go against like what Keith really tried to portray himself. Because what took people, I think, within Nexium so long to believe that there was like a sex cult happening is that, and I didn't know this or I didn't like comprehend this, is that Keith positioned himself as like a celibate monk. That like everything he did, he was celibate. He didn't have relationships. And I was like, oh, because everyone would kind of like knew he was like sleeping with half of everyone. So if he had slept with anyone, it would go against it. But especially if he had manipulated someone to have sex with him, that wasn't typically their preference. Which brings us to another person who I mentioned early is Gina Hutchinson. And Gina Hutchinson committed suicide with a 12-gauge shotgun. And we're going to unpack that in a minute. So if you listen to the other two episodes, you will know that we've we've mentioned Gina before. She was the girl in which accuses Keith of sleeping with her when she was 14 years old. But basically, in October of 2002, in Woodstock, New York, which is about an hour and a half away from Albany, um, in the headquarters, Gina is found dead from a 20-gauge shotgun wound and it's supposed suicide. The story is, is that she bought the gun. She went to this... And by the way, it's a Buddhist monastery. So I'm like, how fucked up is this that it's like at a place of peace? That she bought the gun, went to the monastery, killed herself, and then it was ruled as a suicide. So basically, they're like, why would this happen? Well, basically, I think what it boiled down to is that Gina was very vocal about talking about the asexual assault because when she was, you know... 15, she didn't under 14 or 15, she didn't understand what was happening. It was just this older guy giving her attention. So she was like, Oh my God, I'm so excited about this. Mm-hmm. She was having a sexual relationship with him without really knowing the ramifications of it. And then she was telling people, but this about this time that she was really telling people this in like that 2002, this is when. Keith was really trying to bring Claire and Sarah Bromfman on board. And they think Keith was trying to do was hush up Gina because I don't know about you, but I wouldn't invest my money into someone who, you know, sleep with a 14 year old when they're clearly older. I mean, except for these two might because they went to Jeff's Island. Oh God. Yeah. So they think that they created a suicide of Gina so that the problem would go away. Frank had it recreated because, one, there was hardly any testing done because they ruled it a suicide. So they didn't swab her for gunshot residue. They didn't do a wide scene investigation to, like, look around. Was there other footprints? Could there have been, like, other evidence there? They just ruled it as a suicide. And it's, again, we've said this before, most suicides by women are not done in a messy fashion. They're done in a very, like, clean, thoughtful way because women want to not cause more grief. Basically, she was laying down, the gun was in her mouth, and it was through her coat. Yeah, that was weird. Which is weird and I think would limit the range because I feel like maybe if you could like move the gun around, you would have more of like a reach. But like she was laying with her head like propped. They were saying it would be like propped up, like starting to do a crunch. And they had someone who was her build, her height, her weight, like her measurements stand in and she couldn't reach the trigger. Now, they did say like she could have used like a stick or a branch or something like that, but that's not even indicated anywhere. Mm -mm. It would have been right there next to her. 
And most likely still in the, like, where the trigger is. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it'd be, like, right there to point that out. And that would have been a really easy way to, like, open and cut case to be like, no, she did this because, like, her hand was holding, was kind of near a branch that was stuck into the trigger. But, again, it's ruled suicide, so nobody's looking into it anything farther. And then comes the harder cells for me. Are the two women, the next two women, they kind of unpack them together. It's the Barbara Jeske and the Pamela Carafts. I don't know how to say her name. I apologize. These are women who were both in Keith's trusted circle and they lived with him in this house in Albany. It was like a sister wife situation going on. I had, I was like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And then there's like, when they go there, because there's a person I think still lives in that house. Yeah, it definitely looked like they still lived there. Yeah. Which I'd be like, bye. (laughs) Right. And they were doing like a voiceover and I didn't realize they were doing a voiceover. So I thought it was a man. And then I was like, oh, no, that's clearly a woman. I'm super confused. It was probably like a producer doing the voiceover. Mm -hmm. So they lived with Keith and they said that Barbara was like an enroller. So she basically got people to sign up and continue on. Pamela, to put it very easy, she was the Allison Mack before Allison Mack without the crazy like wanna scar people fetish. But according to this like person who was anonymous, which is weird because if she still lives in the house and she lived with Keith and they shared a room together, I'm pretty sure people in Nexium can figure that out. They would know. I know. So both Barbara and Pamela died of cancer. Barbara died of a brain tumor and Pamela died of kidney failure or like renal cancer. It was said that Keith monitored their, like he controlled their healthcare, like what medicines they received, all of that. Oh, yeah. And so like they weren't going and getting chemo type thing. And like when Barbara was dying, she was in the home. Right. She was just set up in a bed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This mysterious person also mentioned that Keith did not, even though Keith seemed very celibate and like live a healthy, positive life, he actually would make women get abortions if they got pregnant with him. And Barbara had lived with Keith since the 90s, up until she died. And the anonymous person who was giving it all, so all these three women lived in the house. There were four women that actually lived in the house. All four of them had cancer at one point. A little weird, a little weird. Right. That's that's like the weirdest luck you could ever have. And so she had cut her hair while she had had cancer. And so she gave Frank the hair and they tested it. And it had very high levels of barium and bismuth. And they asked a guy like... Like a specialist, yeah. As, yeah, a specialist. And they said, you know, is this something that just happens? Or like, how does this... And they, and they broke it down. Like, you know, if you had like exposure to lead and things like that, or those type of materials, like raw electronics. Also rat poison. So basically in the hair, he could kind of say that that person would have had a low dosage of rat poison possibly for 15 to 24 months. And rat poison is linked to like renal system issues and kidney issues and it also can cause cancer. And if you had a predisposition to some sort of cancer, it could probably exacerbate it, which is why all four of these women had four different cancers. So Frank even admits like this is this is a weird cell. But knowing this and knowing Keith and how he wanted to control people, like how do you get people to stay with you other than to make them depend on you more? 
And they ended up passing away at the age of 63 and 57. And then it kind of goes back to the documentary, then goes back to Kristen Snyder. And they basically talk about how people were saying that Kristen Snyder had a sexual relationship with Keith and that it wasn't consensual. Right. And they do this because this guy is talking about it and he was hired to come in to build like a wireless network inside of Keith's house and area and headquarters. And it was basically to give Keith access to like everything that's being done on every computer, every text message, all of that. And he knew that Kristen Snyder was pregnant because Claire Bronfman told him because she's the one who brought him in for this project. And she told him, oh, yeah, no, she was pregnant. And that if you think back to it, if she had refused to have an abortion, maybe Keith did something to her. And there's only been a couple of people in history that have actually gotten away with not having to have an abortion. And one of them is a girl by name, the name of Kristen Keefe. And she actually left. Oh, my God. Her leaving him was so dramatic. Like she literally her son, her son was seven at the time. She had been in Nexium for 16 years and she had been with Keith 23, 24 years. She literally took her son and her pocketbook. So I'm assuming like her bag or her wallet and just literally caught a taxi to the police station. And while she was at the police station, the Nexium lawyers called the police station to be like, we know she's there and harass her. So like, goddamn. Then they also, like the producer straight asked her like, what would have happened to her son? And she like shuts down and like walks away. But she agrees to keep going as long as they don't bring up her son again. Which I was like, I respect that. And she said that once she left, everyone was against her. People who were against Nexium didn't like her. And the people who were in it were like, fuck you, bitch, you left us. Poor thing. She also says that she didn't think Keith would kill her, but kidnap her and like bring her back. And she said she basically left when she realized that Keith was a psychopath. It took you 24 years to realize he was a psychopath. And so she thinks that like Kristen Snyder got pregnant and Keith kidnapped her. You know, like one of the things I this was crazy is in this documentary, there's a recording of like Allison Mack and Keith walking through this like wooded area talking. And you know how like Keith tried to pretend like he, Oh, this was all the women. Like, literally, if the courts had had this video or this recording, they would have been able to nail him so fast because it's literally him telling her and all she's saying. Because at this point, I was thinking, like, Allison Mack is, like, just as bad as he is. She's, like, a horrible, horrible bitch. But when you listen to her, she's just listening to everything he's saying and agreeing with it. Like, mm -hmm, yes. Okay. Yes. And so you're like, shit, she is brainwashed. Yeah. She's just going with it. She's not objecting, not saying nothing. It's just like, oh, it's so chilling to listen to. I also like that, like, they had a sociologist on there and she was talking about stuff. And one of the things that she said is people picture the sex cult as this, this, like these sexual encounters are these like polyamorous orgies. And that's not what it was. All of the sexual encounters that were happening were traumatic. People were being branded. People were being tied down to tables. People were receiving like oral sex without knowing who the person giving it was. So these are all things that are very traumatic. That's rapey and gross and disgusting. So I can imagine that 
you know, Kristen Snyder goes back and there's Keith talks her into it. And there's this thing. Also, weird thing is that Kirsten, the other one, Kristen girl is talking about it. She was one of the people assigned to investigate Snyder's disappearance. And so she knows what could happen. And she says she doesn't think she committed suicide and that she knows the official story is incorrect. Now, this is where the part gets weird. So Frank goes back to Alaska at this point, right? And is doing like a final interview. And this time interviews Heidi Clifford, which is her wife. And she's also the anonymous person from earlier. She like comes out and she says like, I'm going to do this. And she says that she's scared and that she feels like, you know, she's still scared to do it, but she's going to do it anyway. And she says that she believes that Keith had inappropriate sex with Kristen It was said like the day before this happened. So like February 6th or somewhere around that they were having lunch. Kristen gave Heidi back her like wedding ring and said, would you hold this for me? And then confessed to being pregnant with like Keith's baby at some point because there was like she was basically not herself. She was acting strange. She was having a little bit of a break and she said, I'm pregnant. It's Keith's baby, that kind of thing, which probably was like a whole thing for Heidi to unpack because she's like, my lesbian wife is pregnant with a dude's baby. And according to Heidi, this is what she was screaming when she was hauled out of the conference or the seminar is that she was screaming that she was pregnant with Keith's baby and that it was like a lie and all this stuff and that she was scared. Like, and which is kind of weird because like you would think that if she was pregnant, and she was scared, she wouldn't go kill herself. So that's what makes me think it's highly unlikely. The other thing is interesting is that Heidi didn't tell the police that she was pregnant, which would have been helpful if she had said, but in Heidi's defense, I think she knew that Kristen was scared and rightfully so. And I think maybe Heidi was scared. Oh yeah, most definitely. And so then Frank basically takes a a Valentine's Day card that like Kristen had given Heidi and they do a comparison. And it's basically inconclusive because there's probably about 15 words on the card that was handwritten. And like the big thing is, is that they don't think it's the same person because the I like Kristen wrote an I a very distinct way. It was kind of fish hooky. And the I that was written on the note was very like three lines, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Standard I. So with that, they don't know. But I mean, what is your theory? I kind of hope she went and hid in a cabin somewhere and Heidi knows where she's at and she's alive and stuff. But then it's like, kind of makes me think Keith had her killed and they did whatever with her body to dispose of it type of thing, you know, because like, sorry to be gross and graphic, but it's like, there is a lot of wildlife in Alaska. Mm -hmm. So, you know, stuff can happen. I don't know, but I don't think she killed herself or if she did for some reason. Like, it definitely is not the kayak story. Like, that's just, that's not a thing. Right. Also, like, I mean, there's so many things that could happen. Like, we could go, like, the whole Carol Baskin thing where, like, pushed out of a helicopter in the middle of the ocean. Could be a lot of different things. She could have been kidnapped. She could have even been taken out of the state. Right. There's a lot of boats in Anchorage. Like, she could have been smuggled out. How easy would it be for someone to just drive her car up? Mm-hmm. It was two days later. They don't even say if her car had been sitting there for two days. They just say it was found two days later. Which, being a small town, you would think that someone would be like, that's a weird car just sitting there for a long period of time by itself. 
Yeah, because it's not the touristy season. If it's summer, then I could understand that because, you know, they get a lot of visitors and stuff. But in the dead of winter, no, because like considering the like little downtowny all throughout there is seasonal for most of those shops. They're like late, very late April to May through the summer. Mm hmm. From my understanding, it's pretty quiet during that time of year, for sure. So they would have definitely noticed. Which would have made, like, kayak rentals cheaper. Like, I would think that if someone were committing suicide, they would want people to be able to know. So, like, renting a kayak wouldn't have been a problem. Also, there's an inconsistency because they say someone broke into a shed and then the owners were like, it was just under a tree and then it was gone. There's a lot of possibilities. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the the people with cancer, like, they were being poisoned. Oh, yeah. And who knows? It could have been, like, another Nexium person who was jealous that they lived with Keith. True. It could have been anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just think Gina was killed and they made it look like a suicide because it wasn't even a good look like it was a suicide. They should have, like, honestly, I mean, unless in that state getting, like, a shotgun, you didn't have to, like, wait. Yeah. I know, like, in some states, like, you have to wait three days on a handgun, but, like, you can buy a shotgun. Mm -hmm. People who, that methodical of a suicide, she probably could have waited for a handgun. Yeah. Or poisoned herself. Yeah, because for her to, like, when they were showing that girl, like, to reach it, she would have had to been sitting up. There's no guarantee she, after she shot herself, she'd fall perfectly back. Even still, like, even if she was sitting up... The gun would have been too long. That's true. I was going the route, like, if you're hunched over, maybe you can position it different to, like, reach it and stuff. But what I was, my point was, was, like, she could have fell to the side. She could have Mm -hmm. fell forward. The likelihood of it just being perfect laying on the ground, too, on top of, you know, not being able to reach it is just another thing to think about, too. I mean, I think it kind of goes back to the whole, like, Kurt Cobain discussion is, like, is a shotgun really the best to use, like... I mean, he was on a stool, so it would give him more of a range, but she was laying on the ground. Mm -hmm. It's definitely interesting, and it's a conspiracy theory around a very crazy sex cult, so you can't rule anything. I mean, really, before 2017, we probably would have been like, oh, it's just like a group of people who really like each other and possibly have sex. But like now we're like, they could do anything. Yeah, and it's just terrifying. It's a scary, scary cult, especially because it's happened so recently. Yeah, because I think we think of cults as like the 90s and before. Like Jonestown. Well, oh yeah, that too. Like Heaven's Gate and stuff. Yeah, we think of stuff that's minimum like 30 years old, but this is literally like just a couple years ago and still finishing out, you know, to get the sentencing and all of that. It's crazy. Right. You have to think like if Frank hadn't been pissed and like really kept looking into this. It could still be going on. Right. There would be who knows where this would end. And it's it's crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm glad Frank got pissed off. <laughs> yes. The moral of that story is good job, Frank. Yes. Well, that's going to wrap up our Patreon episode for this month. We hope you enjoyed the month of Nexium, And now we will stop talking about it for as long as we can possibly. I mean, we might talk about it once they get sentenced, but like <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> 
no more to this miniseries. This is the final piece. <laughs> yes. If you have Hulu and or if you have Investigation Discovery, it is worth a watch. It is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. It's well done. So yeah, we will see you. Ne- we'll we'll see you soon on another episode. But we will see you back here for a Slaughter's next week, and then we will be back for a Haunted Ground the week after that. Yeah. Bye, guys. <laughs>